On the surface, Dr. Carmen Pugliafito was a towering figure. Dean of the University of Southern California's Keck School of Medicine, a renowned physician and talented fundraiser who raked in over $1 billion in donations. USC had wanted a transformational leader, someone who could turn the medical school into an elite institution. And under Pugliafito's guidance, it climbed the national medical school rankings. But beneath the glimmer of accolades and fundraisers were murmurings of a darker side. So Los Angeles Times reporter Paul Pringle began to ask questions. We found that this very powerful and highly paid, influential physician who ran the USC Medical School, the Keck School of Medicine, had a secret second life. On this week's episode, Taylor Blatchford talks with Paul about the 15 months of reporting that led to a bombshell revelation and the departure of two USC medical school deans. Donations to the university plummeted after the team's reporting, and the stonewalling continues. They never responded until after the first story ran. And to this day, the president hasn't given us an interview. I'm Tessa Weinberg, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. The story started when the LA Times got a tip in March 2016. He was anonymous and just told me that there was an overdose at a hotel in Pasadena, a young woman, and the medical school dean was there in the same hotel room. And it was his hotel room. And, you know, the woman was rushed to the hospital, and then the police were called, and nothing happened. There was no arrest. There didn't seem to be much of an investigation, according to this tipster. The caller told Paul he'd contacted city officials and USC administration. But as far as the source could tell, nothing happened. There was never an investigation. So he reached out to the Times. Paul interviewed the tipster several times and backgrounded him. After a few conversations, he could tell he'd found a trustworthy source. The tipster provided details, and Paul said he'd been in a position to know what had happened. But he was also careful not to speculate about information he didn't know. Paul began looking into the incident, contacting the Pasadena Fire and Police Departments, but he couldn't get detailed information. Three weeks after the overdose, the dean had resigned, something Paul said his tipster hadn't known. But there was no clear connection between the overdose and the dean's departure. And the school put out a statement saying that he did so to pursue other opportunities in the private sector, and he would remain on the faculty and at the medical center of the medical school. When Paul followed up, the dean sent an email repeating his reason for stepping down, but he didn't give more information. And that was it. I never heard another word from USC over the next 14 or 15 months, despite numerous attempts to get any kind of information. Phone calls, emails, visits to people's homes. They just completely shut me down. As Paul continued to request information from Pasadena authorities, he found a key piece was missing. The police department said they hadn't created an incident report. In response to that, the department created a police report three months after the incident. And even then, they didn't give it to me for nearly two months after that. So I got the police report, this report created three months later, and it did include the name of the dean on the report as a witness to the overdose and as a friend of the overdose victim. 
that gave me more to go on. The report was heavily redacted, but what was left included details that matched Paul's original tip, increasing his confidence in his source. So Paul kept filing records requests and got copies of the evidence report, which showed that the police found meth in the hotel room. He also got copies of 911 calls from the hotel. On the recordings, Pugliafito identifies himself as a doctor and says the woman was his girlfriend. My girlfriend here had a bunch of drinks. And uh, she's breathing. Is she breathing right now? Yeah, she's absolutely breathing. Okay. Is she vomiting at all? No. She said she was sitting up in bed and doing, yeah, passed out. But did she take anything else with it or just the alcohol? I think just the alcohol. The calls helped verify more details from the original tip, like the time of day and location of the hotel room. The story was getting stronger, but it still wasn't enough to publish. He needed to find out more about the Dean's involvement in the incident. More reporters joined the reporting team and focused on finding the woman who'd overdosed. The tipster had provided a first name and physical description. Well, I was able to find a woman with her first name attached to a property that was associated with the Dean. So I had something to go on there. In the meantime, our reporting partners are doing broader searches of social media, finding other young people who had relationships with the Dean through Facebook, through Venmo, and we just got more and more leads to follow. Eventually, they found a name, Sarah Warren, a 21-year-old. The tipster helped confirm her identity as the woman who'd overdosed. I searched Facebook for everybody with that name, and as I found somebody who roughly matched the description, I would capture a photo and send it to my witness, and, you know, in the first two or three times, nope, that's not her, even though, even though to me it just looked like she matched the description perfectly, but again, he was a good source. He, nope, that's not her. Finally, I sent him one, he said, that's her. They also found profiles for the woman on multiple prostitution websites, such as sugardaddyforme.com. Paul and another reporter used court records to track down Sarah at a rehab center in Orange County, where she was trying to get clean. She agreed to talk with them on the record. She was very open, and including about her own problems and her own legal, uh, her own run-ins with the law because of her drug use. And she was very candid and very detailed in the account she gave me of her relationship with the dean. It just made the story much stronger. Sarah told Paul she'd met Pugliafito in 2015 when she was working as a prostitute. She had no idea he was the medical school dean, a position he'd held since 2007. She told Paul they'd constantly spent time together for more than a year and a half, doing drugs and partying with a group of young addicts. Sarah also gave Paul dozens of photos and videos of the Dean using drugs, which corroborated the situations she'd described. In one video, he smiles while wearing a tuxedo and shows an orange pill on his tongue before swallowing. Other photos show Sarah smoking meth while sitting on the Dean's lap. In others, a convicted heroin dealer parties with Dean Pugliafito at 3 a.m. in his office on the USC campus. Well, it surprised me a great deal that he allowed himself to be photographed and and videoed the drug and, and with these people who had histories of drug use and in some cases prostitution. So that was very surprising. You don't see that very often. I thought the brazenness of his behavior was surprising. The fact that it went on for as long as it did, there's a certain recklessness to it, of course. All of that was very surprising.
As he got more information about the dean's secret life, Paul kept reaching out to the USC administration. No response. I went to the president's house to try to speak to him. I left him a sealed note, you know, asking that he uh, speak to me. In response to that, USC complained about going to his house. The dean wasn't talking either. I sent him emails and called him numerous times. I went to his house. I did manage to get him on the phone once, and he hung up on me. And that's been it. I have not been able to interview him. Faculty and staff, however, provided more information both on and off the record. Some didn't want to be named because they feared for their jobs, but they painted a picture of a leader with a hot temper who publicly humiliated colleagues. Multiple people told the Times they suspected the dean had a drinking problem. In a 2012 letter to the provost provided by a university source, a professor wrote that the dean was, quote, an embarrassment to our school and the university. We found out that there had been complaints about the dean from these folks for many years, about his behavior, his drinking, and, you know, they were unhappy with how the university handled it. In a letter to the campus community, USC President C.L. Max Nikias said the university handled the complaints by taking disciplinary action against the dean and providing him professional development coaching. The story ran in July 2017, 15 months after Paul received the tip. Readers were shocked. It was a huge response, mainly online. We lost count of the number of people we we heard from, and that included quite a few people from USC. You know, they really were upset about this, and they wanted answers, they wanted an investigation. Four days after the story was published, the university announced it would fire Pugliafito from the faculty and physician positions he still held. It said it was outraged and disgusted by his conduct. The university immediately opened an investigation into the dean's conduct and how complaints against him were handled. The investigation is still going, and the university hasn't provided details on its findings. The Medical Board of California conducted its own investigation and suspended Pugliafito's medical license. The board's investigation found that the dean abused drugs on the days he worked as an eye doctor for the university and saw patients within hours of using methamphetamine. Pugliafito also supplied drugs to a teenager and a patient in addiction treatment, they found. The Times has continued to follow the story. Since the scandal, medical school donations have dropped by 55% compared to the previous year. Total donations to the university fell by $100 million. That shortfall was particularly dramatic with the medical school. And we did hear from people who were donors that they were upset about the scandal and how the school handled the scandal. While reporting on Pugliafito, faculty members tipped Paul off to another story about his replacement, Dr. Rohit Varma. Varma became the interim dean when Pugliafito resigned in 2016, and he was named the permanent dean later that year. The person who became dean after Pugliafito stepped down was accused of sexual harassment some years earlier, and we found out about that and wrote about it. And in response to that, there were complaints about you know, from other faculty members. Again, very few wanted to speak on the record and he stepped down from the deanship. Faculty told the Times that Varma was accused of sexually harassing a young female medical school fellow while he was supervising her work in 2002. 
The woman said he made unwanted sexual advances during a trip to a conference and then retaliated against her for reporting him. The Times confirmed the accusations by reviewing personnel records and interviewing people familiar with the investigation. They found that USC disciplined Varma after the incident, but soon promoted him to be a full professor, then a department chair, then a dean. They removed him from the deanship as the Times was preparing to publish a story in October 2017. Varma is still listed on the medical school's website as a professor and physician. Paul said the university's lack of transparency was the biggest obstacle he faced throughout the investigation. This was really an unusual experience for me. In my other dealings with USC, they've never been completely transparent. It's always kind of a challenge to get them to open up. But in this case, the severity of the stonewalling kind of took me by surprise a little bit. And I guess that's a lesson I learned, that you can't expect even universities to be as open as they should be. So you got to keep digging. you got to find other ways to get the information. Especially when covering a private university where access to public records can be limited, Paul said it's important for reporters to earn the trust of their sources through old-fashioned door knocking. That's a skill that will never be overtaken by technology or anything like that. Building trust with people who have the information and going back to them again and again, and that's how you eventually defeat this kind of stonewalling. We did quite a bit of that in this story. It was great to get the videos and the records we did get, but we wouldn't have gotten those unless we established a level of trust with people who didn't have a lot to gain by talking to us and in many cases had quite a bit to lose. In this case, it all came back to the original tip. This was somebody who saw something that he thought was wrong, and he tried to do something to fix it. He was frustrated. Eventually, he reached out to us and continued to help us. Again, that that was at some risk to him. He wasn't authorized to do that, and it worked out. Thanks for listening. Take a look at our episode notes for links to the Times' investigation, as well as resources for reporting on higher education and requesting records. On our next episode, we're doing something we've never done before. We're checking in with some of the reporters we featured on the podcast to find out what happened with their investigations since we last spoke with them. For many, their reporting is still having an impact. One thing that I definitely learn from that project that I think I'm going to apply for the rest of my career probably is the power of finding an issue that produces a question and just relentlessly trying to answer that question. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can spend hours listening to the stories behind some of the best investigative reporting in the country at ire.org slash podcast. The IRE Radio Podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. Taylor Blatchford reported this episode. Blake Nelson draws our art for each episode. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Tessa Weinberg. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.